very excited to uh, welcome our next guest to the original podcast space. And our guest today is J.P. Heavey, an old friend of mine. And I feel that I'm often saying at the beginning of these, in the interests of transparency, but in the interests <laughs> of transparency, JP and I are old friends and we work together in the theatre mm -hmm. um, probably about 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I guess, yeah. actually, probably even more than that. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Um, and I'm going to get JP to introduce yourself but uh, but welcome, welcome. I'm so happy that this worked out and that you're able to have this conversation with us today. Welcome, JP. Utterly delighted to be with both of you. The smiles mm. that you all can't see, that I can see, <laughs> mean that I'm the luckiest one in this conversation. <laughs> are stunners. <laughs> so who are you, JP? Well, JP is John Paul. <laughs> so. Uh, it, You've interestingly said incarnations to me before because the weird thing about being John Paul is, I think as a kid, no one knows how to use that name. So I used to go through, oh, John Paul, John, JP, whatever you want to call me. And it's only recently, well, I guess as an adult, that I was kind of really on board with saying, no, I'd, I'd rather you <laughs> kind of called me my name. So it's John Paul, but as an actor, it was John Paul Heavey. Then when I kind of sh shifted careers slightly, uh, my nickname, which is JP, uh, which most people call me, uh, then kind of became that name that people, when I then became a fashion stylist, they called, that was who I was known as, JP Heavey. So I, either or and both are thrilled to be here. <laughs> There's already so much kind of in there because that <laughs> idea of... So you've had a, this is just one of your transformations possibly mm. from actor to fashion stylist. Mm. And I just, the, the idea of brand came up when, you know, JP became your brand was kind of what I heard there. Mm -hmm. And is that it, what it felt like? Totally is. And the weird thing, you both know this, when you're an actor, you have to feel like you're Mr. Everybody. So I was always making sure that, uh, I don't know, if I was out and there was a casting director there, I was like, God, I must make sure that I appear this way to them. Or if I'm out and I know a director who's um, working on a certain kind of, pro oh, I must make sure. I and when I didn't do that anymore, I mean, I still kind of do because I think that is a bit of the human condition as well, but crowd pleaser at heart, I think <laughs> is what I'm saying, um, chained to it. But when it comes to moving away from that. And I was like, God, I don't need to think if I grow my hair long, for example, which I did as an actor, but then I wouldn't just be told you'll be playing a musician or a hipster or hmm. all of those things that when you're in a box and it's very hard to break out, you're bothered. But when it's your career, because I was working as a fashion stylist then. It's just no one knew about it because I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want anyone who was directing or casting me to then think of me only as that person. So it was very much under the radar. And I would be, God, in fact, I graduated in 99. And my first styling job, which is a story in itself, is uh, was 2000 and two I think so mm. no one realized but my equivalent of a bar job was actually my first passion which was clothing image how we present ourselves to the world so I was just like wow because I was about to start a phone job and I um I mean do you want the story yeah go on silly question JP <laughs> oh yeah of course it's we about stories the story yeah I won't ask that again um <laughs> Uh, I was meet, I'd just done Les Mis in the West End and I, that was one of my tick box jobs that I always wanted to do. Hmm. And ironically, I wouldn't have needed the wig nowadays, <laughs> um, but it was, it was amazing. So you do obviously your full year and before it, my equivalent of my part-time job, I was working at Soa House on the door. And so I'd got Les Mis and I was loving life I'd finished lame is and i'd met one of the girls that i did the show with and she was in um i in fact she was running behind so i was just killing time because she wanted me to style her holiday wardrobe because i often got 
um, a lot of the people at press nights and stuff were like, oh, will you tell me what you think I should wear for this? Um, and I was like, well, just what you are. You look fantastic. But the, the weird thing is when I think it's that validation thing, you want someone else's opinion. And if you think mm. it's their kind of profession as well, then you want it even more. But I was doing a holiday wardrobe. So I was killing time in, it was Miss Selfridge on Oxford Street, their flagship one. And I was just looking through all of the stuff in there. And she kind of arrived and she was like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure if, if Miss uh, doesn't cater, doesn't cater for me in there. And I was like, it, it does. And she was like, well, actually, that's my other nickname, Japes. I've got double G breasts. I'm not going to fit one eyelash into any of the clothes in that store. I was like, I don't know. I've, I've been in there. There's some great shapes. Anyway, so she came in and I got an armful of clothes and we were stood in the queue and she'd gone into the fitting room. And of course, me being a man, I was like, well, I can't, I can't go in there. So I was kind of shouting through, it looks nice. She was like, yeah, in every color. So I was like, um, looked for kind of the most senior person on the floor that wouldn't, would point me in the right direction. And she just said, well, it's not open as a service, but do you want to use what will be our VIP room? And I was like, oh, well, yeah. That's, that's brilliant. So I was like, Jen, <laughs> get your top on. So out she came and we, this, honestly, it was, they called it the water cooler place because in there were all the rails, the water cooler, uh, there was a sofa, but it was definitely not what they, you know, were going to open. And long story short, three hours later, after I'd done her whole uh, wardrobe and we'd kind of gossiped and laughed and had much hilarity with the turned out she was the general manager the lady that asked us to go in there and after that time she said do you want the job of opening it as the vip room and i literally was about to start a phone job that monday because obviously between jobs you do a myriad of things don't you whatever pays the bills to get your passion on the table mm. you do and i was like oh um <laughs> and i was like i can't believe that i can combine now two and then that Monday morning, I was doing a rail for someone like a, a celebrity that had just come in. And I was like, this is weird. And so I built it up. I worked the diary. And at that time, Topshop did have, because that's who we were next door to, they had in-store stylists. But it was a very new thing. It wasn't, it wasn't rolled out definitely to the rest of the high street and very much not mm. in the rest of the country either. So it was this new beast that gave me kind of free reign with it as well. So yeah, I, I built up the diary. And so I would deal with any VIPs that came in. Now, my idea of, EV, of a VIP is very different to someone else's. They meant celebrity, but I was like, surely anyone that comes in here to want to feel better about themselves is the equivalent of the VIP. And they were like, yeah, yeah sure, that too. But what about? <laughs> so it was, it, it turned into this amazing job. And that general manager, I'm now godfather to her son. We're still in touch now. We're still very much close friends. And she's just, she was a big champion and she would let me go to do acting jobs, shut down the service because there wasn't anyone else there. Wow. And then I'd come back and do it again. But this was, this would never happen now. This was because it was all very early days mm. of that, of that as a service and as a concept even. So I just felt like the luckiest boy alive. So then I'd get an acting job, go away and do that, and then come back to this job. And then I would start uh, fashion buying as well because I was approached in there to, it's more trend spotting than fashion buying, but it was a company outside the UK and Canada who wanted me to mm. basically spot the best sellers, um, buy them a selection, and then send it across them. So then Jane will know this bit because that was what I used to come to the jobs with with my big suitcase every time we were rehearsing. So I would literally go shopping, um, buy the things that I think would be bestsellers for them because we were slightly ahead as London. We were slightly, it's very much not the case now because the world is way tinier than it was then. But they all kind of looked to, London was for that kind of edgy street vibe where our high street was very much, it was catwalk meeting with kind of general people's style what they would bring because we were able to turn it around quite quickly so they would look to us for that kind of edgy yeah. personality-led fashion mm -hmm. element so yeah I was able to then even when I'd left Miss Selfridge I was able 
to carry on fashion buying through all of my jobs for years. And still no one knew, only the people that asked. And then I was doing lots of different acting work. So I remember I did Marguerite in the West End and I literally was rattling my suitcase up all the stairs to the dressing room. And no, they did know what I did because I was kind of, I suppose, by that stage, I didn't, I didn't mind so much that I, I'd embraced kind of how I wanted to look. I didn't mm. necessarily feel I had to fit in because I'd, I'd booked jobs. So I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, I, I can't have to look like boy next door for the rest of my life if I'm booking mm. jobs. So I kind of started to let my own expression come in a bit more. So it would feed into my work as well as my passions. And it was just great. Everything was ticking at the same time. And then at the same time, voiceover started as well. So my friend, um, Gemma, who I, I was married on stage to at 15 in an amateur dramatic production of Follies, uh, we're still not divorced. So I think in, <laughs> in the law of the land, in music theatre law, we're still <laughs> married. Um, and we, uh, one day she just said, I, she worked at Sky and she just said, leave me a voicemail because they are looking for regional voices that aren't so regional that you, if you are from the South, kind of go, God, I, I need to tune myself into that before I can even understand them. So I'm from Liverpool, but the accent totally doesn't tell you that. But it's kind of, it's way softer than it was. But yeah, I left him a voicemail and then got called into audition for that as well. So at that stage, when I was doing those three careers at once, I was like, this is literally the dream. This is absolutely <laughs> what I wanted to do. The last stage of it was when I left um, acting full time, because the only thing I hadn't done was present as a stylist because I thought that was the final frontier. If I did that, there would be no coming back as an actor. Hmm. So I, when I left acting, which was the right decision, uh, there were many temptations to go back to it. Uh, but I mean, I coach it now, but I don't, I never went, I never stepped back. Once I, I left, I was like, no, I, for me, that Monday morning feeling when you've finished a year contract or six months, however long the job is, or a telly, a short contract, whatever it is, and you're starting again, mm. I, I just, mm. that feeling wasn't there as a stylist, wasn't there really as a voiceover artist. And I just thought, I don't want to risk everything again. Mm. Everything is now, everything is in one basket, so I don't need to put my eggs anywhere but right where they are now so I didn't want to kind of risk it so it was the right decision I still had so much love for the business and yeah so then I um joined I launched with London Live then as their fashion um stylist and their fashion voice within the channel so I would cover twice a week I did a fashion forecast from a wardrobe set in in my they, this was before kind of fashion blogging was as big mm. as it is now on Insta. So it's, it, they wanted to create that kind of feeling. So I was kind of there ensconced in a wardrobe, um, pulling back all the clothes and giving my minutes worth of content then twice a week, but it was off the news. So it was meant to be the fashion forecast. So <laughs> I was kind of your fashion ally to say, this is what's on trend, but this is also what the weather's like in London. So how can we mix the two? And then they would get me into the studio to do bits to talk about Notting Hill Carnival fashion or to London Fashion Week or whatever it was. I would then do my live studio visits for that. So when I crossed over into that, I was like, yeah, I think, I think I've ticked all the boxes now. I, I, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, and everything informed the next job. I, I love this, JP. We've asked you one question. Brilliant. And you, that's the whole podcast that's the whole podcast just, you, I'll it, see you next week bye <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah there there he is but I absolutely love how at the beginning of, well, it's not the beginning of the story and in a minute I'm going to take you back like further further back mm. um, but like that moment in the changing room in Miss Selfridge it's mm -hmm. like you know, that is a story moment in time. There's, mm. you know, there's you with an armful of clothes mm -hmm. and calling in to your friend and somebody just says, actually, 
Um, we're going to be starting this soon. So do you want to use that VIP room? And, it, it, and, it and it's like, like it grows it feels from It's like I've made it up right now. <laughs> but there's something, no, there's something so archetypal because it's got the random element of timing mm. in it. You know, you being there that day with that woman there, oh, clearly overhearing all the conversations that you had, you know, what you were like with your friend, you know, she didn't just think, oh, let's use this guy. She obviously saw something in you and heard something that she thought, we need this now. And the timing was perfect. And all good stories have that random circumstance of timing. I, I think if it was a film, you'd be like, that's way too far-fetched. Yeah. It was when, like my friend, there was, I remember she had these cow wedges that she was looking at buying. And she was like, God, don't you hate it? When the print goes off to the side, right in the middle of one of the cow splodges. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And she was like, but I like that one of this pair. And then Sam, who was the general manager, said, well, I'll just get you another pair because now, you know, we'd kind of made chums in there. And she was like, it's fine. I can split the pair up for you if, you, if you're going to. And then we went through about seven pairs. <laughs> get the right Sam, <laughs> Absolutely. Sam said to me, I knew I was going to offer you the job when you turned to your friend when I was about ready to throw the box through the window and say, I think it's the right one on pair three and the left one on pair seven. And she was like, at that stage, I knew you were more obsessed with fashion than I could ever be. So I wanted you in that shop to do what I could not be bothered doing. <laughs> so that's, that's, how it, that's how it happened. <laughs> that care for detail obsession you know? <laughs> yeah call it what you like but that's what problem. it needs yeah obsession and yet in my experience of working with you there, there's something that you kind of alluded to which was about permission and how it, it, it's I think that part of the gift that you have about this is your giving of permission to people who aren't quite at the stage to give it to themselves. Because when I worked with you and there would be things that I might want to wear and just think, well, you know, I'm five foot two. I don't have the kind of body that a top shop mannequin looks like. So I can't possibly wear that. And yet when I would work with you, I would know that in the morning I would put something together and I just kind of think, I know that you'll notice that I'm doing something, whether it's completely successful or not, but I've got the permission to try something out and I know that I will be seen by you. And, and that was amazing for me. That gave me confidence to try things that I wouldn't ordin ordinarily. So the, the permission and the, and the acceptance, which you've already talked about, is, is such a big part of what you do, I think. That makes me so happy because that is the heart of everything i mentioned to you before that it, when i'd started they were like what do you want in here what should we have and of course the chaise long of course the velvet curtains of course the little mini fridge with mini bottles of fizz but the box of tissues that sat in the middle of that coffee table next to vogue were the things that were the most used in there because when you see yourself as a whole person that doesn't have to hide this bit or feel that they're not enough in that bit, or they've just put their newborn down and they've seen themselves as, as a woman, not just a mum or whatever it is that they've brought into that room. It was a powerful thing. And I, I went on it with them. I was so invested in that moment that mm -hmm. I love it because that's exactly how I felt as a child as well. Well, I mean, it, I know you say we'll talk about early things later, so I won't say, but I have those experiences and I, um, I feel those experiences all the time. And if I can tell someone, don't, don't tie yourself in knots about it. Because, I mean, I, I wear some pretty daft things and I am very much, uh, for some reason, I don't know why people think they can very much tell me how daft they think some of those things are. And it is fine, but I've felt what it feels like to not wear something that other people think is, is oh, it's, it's, it's too out there for me. It's too artsy. I, I, that could never be me. But my whole thing is it could be you on a wet Wednesday in Bogner. It could be you on a Saturday night out downtown. It could be you any of those days. Don't cut yourself off from something that could mm. make you feel something else that could be lead to who knows what because it 
it does. And it frees you. It frees you. So I'm so pleased you felt that. Uh, uh, yes, that makes me do a very big smile. <laughs> so let's go back to the early, the early passion, because you said my first passion mm. was clothing. And, mm. and, and so, so where are you? Take us back to a, a, a moment in time with, I don't know, baby JP. How old is John Paul? Well, I, I think John Paul as well, because I'm, mm. I am interested in this thing uh, about names as well. Names are very important mm. uh, in terms of how we identify ourselves, um, how other people, like, you know, you regularly meet people who say, oh, don't call me that, only my mother calls me that when she's angry type <laughs> thing. Those, uh, the difference between John Paul, John Paul and JP and, and the different identities that those two things suggest to you so take us back to baby john paul mm. well and yeah it probably would have been john paul then because my family uh would have said well my mum and dad called me chick so, <laughs> so <laughs> <but> neither <laughs> that's um, great and she still does so um but family was very much john paul uh one of my cousins was jp which is where sorry called me jp which is where that was born from so mm. th he would say jp so that that kind of i thought oh, that's a way in when people don't know how to use the name so but it would have been John Paul and it was I mean god fashion has always been because obviously you don't know you can act when you're that age you don't know you've got a talent or a passion at that mm -hmm. age because mm -hmm. actually you don't even know what it is at that age so uh, it, that wasn't an option um it was my parents they they are absolute fashion heads um my <laughs> both mom, of them my, oh my god absolutely dad um was oh he just looked like a model and everything he wore he would always have the right suit he would always have the right look he was always like moved with the times different eras both of them i mean they would coordinate they were hugely uh inspired by fashion and therefore inspirational to me because i would look at early photos mum always had a different haircut every decade but they they both looked incredible and they both absolutely never dad really took care of himself the hair was always done the outfit was always on the smell was always strong and <laughs> mum exactly the same and so it was it, it never i never felt that fashion wasn't a boy thing so that was fine for me so straight away i was like oh i can be interested in it because I'm an only child, so everyone in my in my world is interested yeah. in this. So that's fine. I will be too. Um, and Brilliant. <laughs> they, it was from. I mean, baby photos of me. You would die. The the outfits that I was put in as a child, and or grabbed of my mum's with her big '70s shades and her big shopper and her big. Um, this velvet baker boy that she had then that honestly I must send you because you must because we will put them up with this <laughs> podcast it's, we want to see them now they're hilarious because you you look at them and you're like yeah yeah okay that makes sense yeah <laughs> Good. and basically there was always an outfit out so from I mean I can't remember this far back but from baby grow onwards there was always an outfit and my mum would always do, put one out for me uh, and we would go shopping for them. And because that's also how they did it. So their outfits would be out on the bed, mm. uh, at ready, ready for them. And ironically, that's now what I do with my mum. So we've got a, a different and just so blossomed and well-realised journey between us, full circle now with fashion and with love and with everything. But it's one of those that you kind of think, I totally see where that came from. Because I always saw my big tagline is always to never underestimate the power of an outfit. And I've known that since I, before I could even say the sentence. Wow. That's a brilliant one. Reminds <clears throat> me a little bit of the... Um, the Vivian the Westwood. Vivian Westwood that oh, you yes. were talking about, which is... You will have a more interesting life if you wear impressive clothes. Absolutely. It's, I couldn't agree with, she's absolutely one of my favourite designers as well, but even if I'd just heard that quote, I would agree, and I think that stretches to every subject. 
like it, it, anything you try that's outside of your comfort zone leads mm. you down a different path that you think I wouldn't have gone down here. Mm. And the one client who was actually a friend of a friend that I was styling at the time, and she was like, I would never, in fact, this sentence gets well trodden. I would never have picked that up and I would never have put that with that. And I'm like, but they were hung next to each other. Why not? It, it blows my mind that you wouldn't experiment because I think it does all come down to my parents allowed me to basically wear whatever I wanted to wear and, and express. I would be going to, when I did find drama group, which I was young, I was like eight, nine, 10 going to my drama groups. But I mean, I was there in my skinny jeans, blue um, brogue, winkle pickers, silver shirt, varsity jacket on top. I mean, ridiculous outfits. I was in those, because it would have been 80s then, I was in the big long trench coats with the sleeves back and I'd like my dad's attache case, so I was like, I'll take that in. <laughs> ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. But it's not. It's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Because then you were kind of... You were experimenting with different mm. kind of identities in a way. Mm. You know, it's you you being a, a kind of nascent actor um, is all about identity, experimenting with that. And it's interesting to hear you talk earlier about, you know, as an actor, and I, I, I remember this, this idea when you, you're, you're first acting, you're like, I could be anything. And actually, you do get put in a box and quite quickly you realise the box that either you've put yourself in or that somebody else has put you in to market you as a product. Mm. Um, but at an early age, we just, you know, you your stories show that kind of living ability to experiment with different identities in your looks. Which did think? clash, though, with my casting type because then I was often up for kind of straight male um, juve lead with the with with the girlfriend at that right. time and so i was that's why the pressure was like oh, i need to look a certain way i need to look a certain way the world's very different now with how yeah. we can experiment with our look and how men can take care of themselves and it doesn't need to well even if it does mean anything it doesn't matter what it means but it just felt so it was so closed back there when it came to archetypal um, figures within shows. Oh, you're that. That's what you're up for. Oh, therefore you can't do that. And I was thinking, actually, I love comedy work. So I, I want to do more of that kind of stuff or I want to do more. And sometimes you can get a job where you break out of your mold and you go and do something else. And sometimes you sit within it. But I think it's like you said before, that quote from Viv, Viv, first. <laughs> <laughs> when you are embracing whatever possibility you decide to embrace that day then you're golden nothing can stop you mm, that's whether that's great. look whether that's a, a different kind of character whether that's whatever because I was the same at drama school I was like no but I can I want to do it all I want to do because I was on acting and music theatre and luckily we were the first year that the degree option came in mm. I was at Mountain View and it was Oh, oh, thank God that came in because obviously it enables you then if you want to come back later in life to do anything, you know, it's there as a degree. Mm. And at the time I was like, God, I, I want to do, I do want to do musicals. I want to do the long runners, but then also I want to do brand new musicals. And then I want to do a telly. And then I want to do uh, work on just a straight play. And then I want to do, and mm. I don't, I think probably they did, but, I'm not sure if I was told, no, you will invariably, if your first couple of jobs are in musical theatre, you will be stuck there because people are very blind when it comes to musical theatre. What I see in musical theatre is someone that can do everything very well. Yeah. What someone else sees when they look into music theatre is, ah, so they do everything to a certain level, which means that if they're in a straight play, they just wouldn't cut it. They just wouldn't cut it. And I'm like, well, I've watched you in your straight play and I don't think you cut it. So good <laughs> luck trying to do a musical. It's the weirdest thing. And very luckily for me, after I'd done, there was my first telly was, um, was a scouser. And they, that was the thing. The casting director did use music theatre people because she knew. But because they were looking for someone from Liverpool, they broadened their search. So they didn't just go to the normal agencies. They didn't just go to the normal actors. And so, I mean, I had my first job was Blood Brothers. So 
that was on my CV. So that, you know, it was searchable and I got called in for, it was a BBC. Luckily it was a guest lead as well in the episode and I got it. And I, that one job meant that from that point onwards, no one could limit my CV Mm. because Mm. all I managed to do was get lucky in that audition. But however, to all the people that are very blind at, looking through music theatre jobs or looking through dance jobs, whatever they might be, that was proof. And it was like, no, you see, I can. And and again, I just felt completely and utterly lucky to have been able earlier on to mm-hmm. have something to show real so that I could then send, if I wanted to, to other agents or whatever it might be at the time. But th- th- no matter what profession you're in, you you come up against that. Well, it's a glass ceiling, isn't it? And you to get through it, it's like, what can I do? What can I do? And sometimes mm. it's just pure and utter luck. So, uh, and it's this thing about permission again. And it's mm. like, well, you can, you, JP, can give permission to other people. And clearly you're also giving permission to yourself because somewhere all, all that was possible for you and therefore it became possible for you because you created it. It, it, it kind of makes me think about when when we do story workshops and sometimes people will come to a story workshop with, you know, a really um, powerful story that's sitting in their past that feels like this one story defines who I am. And actually when you begin to work on your story, you can kind of see, oh, actually, yeah, I could view that story as just being, you know, a tragedy. This is the background that I had. This is the family that I grew up in. And there's a, there's tragedy there. And actually, in the telling of the story, you can see it from a different kind of perspective or you can get reflected back to you that actually there are other things going on in that story because nobody is just one story. So the reframing of the story is a way of, of, of getting to that place of permission. No, actually, mm-hmm. there's another possibility for me. It's not just one thing because it's creation anyway so what i mean what's to say i always used to say about kind of dressing up the life ladder so like you before you've even opened your mouth people are looking at your whatever you've chosen to wear that day so if you choose to be comfortable i've said this to you before as as a product and i think as actors we're more comfortable with that concept if I'm styling a model they're also comfortable with that concept if yeah. it's a member of the public they're like oh no i'm I'm not a product. I'm this, this, and this. And I'm like, you are all those things. You're absolutely right. But what I mean is, if you also tweak the wrapper slightly, then before you've said anything, you've dressed yourself into a situation. And people make these weirdo judgments on us based on our outfit or based on how we look or based on any number of things, our accents, gender, colour, all of these things that absolutely drive me mad that people put rules and ceilings on us that we should be able to shatter through, but Mm -hmm. it's not that easy for some people. Mm. And I just think how wonderful if you can, like you say, I'll, I'll remember you saying that actually, because it is giving yourself permission. And I think I felt like I was given permission as a child. It was a very happy atmosphere where things were allowed so I Mm. flourished from that but I hope that if uh someone like you were saying before if you felt unable to put on something that didn't feel very you at that moment but then did it's like yeah and feel how powerful that feels now it's it's wonderful and it is enabling and it is um permission that you can grant yourself because then we are living in our absolute truth aren't we that familiar phrase sounds like the the permission you were given as a child allowed you to to morph from this profession where you had to be in a box you know you've talked about being the the straight guy with the nice hair and the girlfriend you know that castable um buyable product Mm. allowed you to kind of let go of that and become the creation that we see before us <laughs> and for those of you that are listening it might be a point to pause and go to jp's instagram and and have a look because 
What I see is somebody with long, flowing auburn hair. How long is your hair? I mean, it's well past your shoulders. It's kind of... It's it's like tummy length now. It's tummy length, long, wavy brown hair (laughs) and a beard that comes well below your chin. And so it's, you know, that there's a really clear choice there that for me kind of taps back into that moment where you, that kind of turning point where you knew that if I go around this corner, I can't go back. Mm. As you described it, the leaving the acting profession, making such a decisive choice with your appearance and your the persona you were going to step into, the, um, the identity and role and profession you were going to step into. Um, there's a lot in there for me. It makes me wonder, do you ever walk down the street and want people not to look at you because it would be hard not to look at you JP in the best possible way if you passed me on the street well it is a walking yeti you're right uh, I your words not mine <laughs> disclaimer the weird thing is that in a different life I would be a hermit like I am completely self-sufficient and very shy really um and obviously as I say for an only child you kind of it's a different it's a different upbringing. You kind of learn different skills to kind of navigate time on your own. So you end up being, I think, in my case anyway, fairly comfortable with being on your own. Mm. And no, there are many times where I feel that I, I don't want to stop and chat in the street. Many times that I don't want Jesus shouted after me <laughs> as I walk down the street. Many times. But... um. My comfort zone is quiet, one-on-one. In fact, not quiet. My comfort zone is a good old knees up. <laughs> but being in the corner of the knees up, having heart-to-hearts, and then right. up on the floor and shaking it all loose, and then sitting down again, that, that to me, I love that. I love one-on-one conversations or groups, but like when you can really talk heart-to-heart, eye-to-eye, what, what's going down. I love that so much. So... And that's why I don't um, change the way I look because I kind of think it's a decision. I've made the decision and I'm not going to compromise something that I I like because yeah. I think it's going to, I don't know, lead to embarrassing conversations or being shouted at, whatever it might be, because it kind of feels like it's a different world. I don't, I just don't feel that's a place now. And I think as a gay man, I think that you felt an outsider, um, Hmm. in school, you felt an outsider here, there and everywhere. And then you kind of think I'm just as much of a man as you might be, but we are different trajectories and that's fine. And I'm, I'm just not willing to kind of compromise who I am just to have a quieter life. I think. It's a, I think that's a leadership position that you take, you know. It's probably stupid of me, but still, I just couldn't do it. No, I mean, it takes, it takes um, real kind of courage and um, hmm, uh, just kind of intentionality. This is what I'm going to be in the world. And I think well, by leadership, you know, that, that makes you a role model, I think, to people. That, again, it's permission. It's like... Look at this guy. Look at the way he allows himself to be in the world, which is, you know, which might invite all sorts of things, including massive adoration and love and attention, but all sorts of things. And I think to, to, to live that and show that is, is, um, is a really bold and powerful thing to do, JP. Well, that's, that's very nice of you to say. But the... the I know you don't. One doesn't. One doesn't do it. Um, you, you're not doing that consciously to think I'm going to do this leadership thing. You're being yourself, but that's why it's powerful. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you. Use the word creation, mm. um, and and I'm and I'm just turning. I'm sitting here. I'm listening, and I'm turning over in my head. If I knew that you were an only child because I'm an only child and there is a and there's a particular intensity to being 
the only child to be like you are I know that you are your own creation as everyone is their own creation but as an only child you're also the 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 creation the mm. sum of these two parents and there is a particular intensity to that triangular relationship which I can really you know as you talked about it I could really feel it too mm. you know and like there's not there's not different versions of me made by my two parents running around there's just me mm. just as there is just you mm. as as the creation of your two parents and I'm thinking about your parents laying their clothes out on the bed and each of them having that really strong sense of self that they manifested mm. and that how that sort of got so that you got that really intensely and I'm also thinking where did they where did it come from in in them I mean can you see where your mum got that from or where your dad got that from mm. you know and ancestrally or or culturally or, or what was it do you think they that's interesting they um dad was definitely uh more of a, a maverick completely in his family and he was he did have a sister as well um and uh, my dad passed away five years ago so that's why i speak uh, in just in case you're listening and thinking why is he changing his tenses on this so <laughs> i did sadly lose him um uh, but the i i think he not as an only child but kind of operated as as someone who was very self-sufficient my granddad was um a local politician he was mayor of the area that that they were in up huh. in liverpool and um they also had a shop so they had their own business they were very politically minded they were very and that the political stance flipped all the way through his career as well it's very interesting because a lot of things were brand new as well and different ideals were coming through but i think he i think maybe he would have seen a kind of freedom in that for sure um, and then with mum, I mean, I only uh, knew my nan on on that side because um, my grandfather sadly passed away when I was born. But my nan was the apple of my eye. <laughs> she was so amazing. And I can see absolutely now it's, it's hilarious because I can absolutely see um, how my mum is now in versions of my nan because nan was so funny and so kind of giving and gentle and loving and playful and all those kind of things and yeah I can see that and nan uh, made her own clothes mum could then make her own clothes as well so I think there's kind of a a freedom in both of them that perhaps had come from generations yes um, and also an artistry and a creativity that came from I mean I suppose they did have their own businesses so yes but it came from them because then mum and dad had their own business as well because mm. I was born after they'd been married for 15 years so they had a whole life before me and it was great they had they could build the things they wanted to do they could um, get this company together they could go out and have a laugh they could they had a full life so I very much felt that when I when I came along because I think it it shows in the way that you're parented as well. They're like it's it, they're not trying to find themselves mm. as they're trying to bring you up. Mm. I definitely felt that. Yeah, and hey, it was Liverpool too. Liverpool, you know, I mean, font of an extraordinary amount of creativity. And they were very of, involved of in that scene. Of all different kinds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not not to overly generalise about Liverpudlians, but that sense of um, place, identity connected to that city, which in having worked in the city myself and the Liverpudlians I know, that's you're, you're always from that city. Mm. You know, if you... Your connection to that place is, is a strong one. Is that, is that your experience? completely and I was brought up just outside Liverpool um but my all my family is from Liverpool so I mean in fact going back a few generations mums um on uh, her paternal side they were Swedish so they came over from Sweden and on my dad's side they came over from Ireland so actually it was a whole kind of amalgamation of the two sides but 
Um, yeah, and that is the beauty of Liverpool as well, because it being a port, yep. yes, um, you know there are bits of murky past there as well. However, the it is a place where a lot of people have come together mm. and uh, from massively different walks of life and been allowed to do so. And mm. yeah, I, I have utter fondness for the city, and it does stick in your heart because when you're there you know the love for the place is i mean yeah you you, you can see any scouser crows about liverpool it's <laughs> it's it's just in the dna and yeah. my parents were involved in in not in the music scene my godfather was involved in the music scene there my parents were a, a part of that 60s scene as well and it was something that i think did it's one of its founding principles isn't it that music and um uh, the comedy and the the welcoming nature mm -hmm. of the place it's great and yeah i i think it's a wonderful wonderful city and i don't think you ever forget it hmm. there's something interesting in that idea of being an only child that's uh that's yeah i just want to pick up on because mm. There was something else that you said around um, being gregarious, that idea mm. of loving a knees up at a party mm. and an event, but also being very happy to be in the corner, one-to-one -one with somebody, eyeball to eyeball. And that, that connection, that sense of connection to another person, I'm sure has really served this role that you've taken on to to help people find their identity through clothes. I'm sure that that's part of what you do in that changing room with that woman or man that you've just met 10 minutes ago, but building that connection, that relationship must be central to, to understanding what they want, drawing that out of them, giving the permission and all that. Mm. Does that, does that ring true to you? Quite 100%. And nothing brings me as much joy as that when I'm like, you have, you have lived into your potential there and you feel great. And it's, it's a buzz watching someone do that or knowing that, I mean, I probably spend too long afterwards, like, did they like that dress? And, and, and send me a picture of that one. And what was work like when you wore the outfit? Do they think you were the MD? And I, I, I genuinely, uh, after they've gone, I think about them. I don't do private clients as much now, but uh, at the time I was invested in them. I mean, I think I did one girl on her first date and then on the first holiday with that person. And then she wanted as well. She was then talking about her wedding with that person. I was like, this is just, it's just lovely. And it, it's wonderful to see someone live into that. And it's, it's a massive gift. And it's weirdly for some people untapped because mm -hmm. the big thing I feel massively passionate about is the fashion industry can sometimes feel a little um exclusive so you you feel like i've not got a place there you said that before jane when you were like well and we've had that conversation before when you were like i can't shop in the same place as my daughter a because she'll slap me and b because i just i i don't feel is that right is that and mm -hmm. i'm not i don't think that exists as much anymore because you know there's, there is a homogenized kind of lump when it comes to trending. Certain shops that used to be different don't look different anymore. You know, there's, is, mm -hmm. there is trend and there is not trend. That, that's kind of as far as it goes. But the groups that don't feel like they've got a place at the table were always the ones that I loved styling the most. So yeah. whether it be in, I've done a few tele campaigns before where we've spanned the ages. Mm. So or we may have done different body shapes, whatever it might be within brackets that kind of feel, I can't wear that because it's my favorite person to kind of say, you can wear it and here's why, because it's, mm -hmm. it's, an, it's enabling and it's powerful. And I mean, Jane, you know, I'm obsessed with my mum. So like now mum's got an Instagram account because for years after taking photos of her, I was like, you need to show people what it means to be um, a woman, uh, well, I won't say her age because, you know, we, we shan't reveal, but like her Instagram handle is the pensionista. So I don't think it's any surprise that, <laughs> you know, she is of pensionable age. Um, but you wouldn't think that to look at her. And I just think 
other people look at her pictures and they kind of say, I don't want to look like you when I'm your age. I want to look like you now. I want this vitality that's coming out of you in space. Yeah. You, you, this joy and this kind of, uh, it, it's, it's sparky and it's, it's amazing. And you can, if you can kind of, I mean, I'm not that person that says, if I can help just one other person, then I'm happy. <laughs> because that sounds far too saccharine. Apart from the fact that I kind of am. And I, mm. I love that feeling. And I think, talking about mum, she will have definitely made people think, I can wear that then. If she can, I can. And that's what fashion's all about. It's about, it's no longer that, oh, do I look a bit muttony in this? Which used to be one of the, my least favourite sentences that people mm. would say. It's like, no, you don't. And tell me how you feel in it. That's what I'm interested in. I don't care mm. if you have been told this shape can't wear these jeans, this shape can't wear. I mean, we're normalizing so much more now with like mm. plus size with crop top, with a high-waisted jean, um, different uh, body shapes wearing garments that would have been no way in their section before now. And how fantastic, because fashion isn't about this is on trend, wear it. That's a very simple rule. If mm. you've got no way in, then yeah, feel the power of feeling like you're in a gang of people that can strut down the pavement like it's your own personal catwalk and own it. Or rummage, rummage in a vintage shop and just mm. create something that is just your own. And if you don't then follow trend, then you're your own trend and your own, like you said before, Dan, your own creation. And that is so powerful. So, so tell me how it happened with your mum, you know, you, going from you telling her, you, you know, your, your look and the way that you are needs to be out there. How, so how did it happen that it has actually manifested now that she is the pensionista? And I must say that I'm really, I'm really moved by knowing more about the story and knowing that she lost your dad mm. five years ago and it's in the last few years that I've watched her presence blossom mm. that that it's like uh between the pair of you you've created something for her what must have been and and maybe still is a really sad difficult time and yet she's blossomed and there and there she is being inspirational you know again mm. for anyone listening go look at the pensionista because she is inspiring she is so funny because she'd be like well you know no one would want to talk to me if I sat in a corner moody and, and sad about everything with them. I was like, yeah, but mum, you, you are allowed to be as well. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, zip up and move on, you know, let's socks pulled firmly up and let's carry on living. And she's, she's amazing. And it, it, and it is inspirational. And it also is very empowering for her because she looks at the photos and she's like, Oh, is that me? <laughs> yes, it is you. You are gorgeous. And you, it's not just the way you look. It's not the way anyone looks. And I want to be so clear about that because I think that's what stops people wanting to be involved in that industry. And I mean, by shopping. Sometimes I, the number of people I'm just like, they don't feel able to do it. But the way it comes across is, oh, I hate shopping. You know, I hate it. Why is that? Oh, well, no. There's nothing in it for me. I was like, what do you mean? Mm. Oh, oh, well, I just don't like the way I feel in this. And then the more you unpick it, it's, it's nothing mm -hmm. to do with the fact that you hate shopping. It's mm. to do with the fact that your appreciation of yourself is in one place. The stuff that you can see in the shop perhaps isn't even catering to what you could wear because the up and down relationship with sizing in shops is a, a, a huge factor and has been over the years. But it used to be like anything plus size was just like, what, three styles? And it was like, oh, great. So I've one of three dresses, thanks. But now I'd like to think that the palette people have got to work with is so much bigger. And therefore, if they kind of think, after I've unpicked, if it maybe isn't to do with the fact that I hate shopping, it's actually to do with a deeper relationship with how I see myself in the mirror or what I identify with sometimes people don't want that gaze and I necessarily don't want that because that's not why I dress a certain way but I I think if it flows really deep with someone then they almost want to cancel themselves from any opinion any gaze 
and they just want to head down and walk. And that's that's fine too, but it's probably more to do with that than it is to do with, oh, I hate shopping. Mm. And I, listen, my next, there's going to be another incarnation as well because I, over the years, I've always seen the correlation between psychology and everything we do. Mm. Be that as actors uh, and insert any number of examples there. Um, as a stylist, I mean, there are so many aspects of it that are intrinsically linked with us as humans and our behaviors and our acceptance and our, of ourselves and others. And well, you name it, it all fits in that bracket of beauty is only skin deep, that old saying, but actually when you start peeling it back, what's stopping you from reaching where you could do, could be then. And so I, this is culminating now hot off the press in the fact in September I've been accepted because I'm going to do an MA in psychology in September. So that's the next incarnation of this because I want the the backbone of it to, I want to understand more of it. I don't want them to be well-intentioned hunches. I want mm. to understand it at a kind of molecular level that it's not, it's not just skin deep. It's, um, it's all around us. It's everywhere. And it's, it, 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 yeah. So I, that's great. Part of it. It's part of it. Cause I think it's at the root of everything. That's really yeah. exciting. Cause I, cause I had in my head, oh, I want to ask him about, you know, the relationship between the outside and the inside, you know, mm. it's just what you put on your back, but yeah. uh, in relation to what you feel inside, cause it's underneath this whole conversation and for you to explore that relationship much more fully by, going into psychology i think is fascinating it's it will feed into it and it's it's never as simple as um oh put that top on and you'll feel fine there is no way that i would negate someone's mental health in that way <laughs> however sometimes when you are in a rut when you are in a place where you can't even look at yourself let alone other people and outwardly appreciate sometimes if you put something on and you feel just that little bit better when you look in the mirror or just that little bit better when someone says i've not seen you for ages you look fantastic whatever it might be mm -hmm. you slowly can see the light in that moment and think you know there is more out there than just walling myself into unlovability kind of thing mm -hmm. and it, it's it is powerful it it should never be taken lightly i'm not saying that but no. i do think that you can do certain things for yourself that you think i feel great today Mm. I think I look great today. Mm. Therefore, the way you treat other people will be better. The way you treat yourself will be better. Mm. It, it is a knock-on um, and everything feeds into everything else. There's an idea that we work with when we're, when we're exploring people's stories, which is, and you've touched on this without kind of saying these words exactly, but there is a multiplicity of stories meaning that none of us are one single story. I think that's mm. what you said, Jane. And I think all of us can unwittingly get stuck in the single story about who we are in the world, the, the one track that we're on that feels impossible to get out of. And, you know, by it's very interesting when you were talking about the, oh, I hate shopping, and actually unpicking the stories behind that mm. will be moments when things have happened in a changing room or in a shop or at a rail or when you've been wearing something and somebody said something or there'll be multiple little moments that have fed into this idea that, oh, no, can't do those things and I'm going to be in this rut. And I think to open that up and realise that we're never stuck in a, mm. on a single track or in a single rut that we can be multiple things in one day, let alone one week and one lifetime, that we can explore different versions of our identity, morning, noon and night, I think is, is wonderful. And the clothing is just one element of that. Mm -hmm. Well, what um, I think is interesting is that it can work from the inside out, and it does work from the inside out and from the outside mm -hmm. in, that there's this sort of virtuous loop that it you know it can go both ways i guess completely and what god what a winning equation when it does as well when you can just feel fantastic in that moment hmm. uh, yeah i think it's got a lot to do with all of the soul searching we do as actors as well before that and when you're kind of putting yourself 
through things and seeing yourself as a product and you have to you have to really look um underneath the surface but i would go out on a limb and say it probably is everything to do with those little experiences that they would have had in different rooms whether i mean and i've seen the full range whether it's red in the face and sweating because it's all just too much and they're frustrated whether it's the tears down the face because it's i don't feel good enough or every emotion that's been there there's a trigger point and yeah it's luckily it's something i don't have so i was like god i could i could shop from morning to night uh and never my boredom threshold anyway is one percent i i genuinely don't get bored of things People laugh because mm. I probably could also have the same lunch every day, which seems weird <laughs> as someone that changes their outfit as much. Mm. But I, how how great that you can. What well, what I get is, um, you know, that outsider identity that you experienced growing up, that you've been able to step back and look at it, and then be able to notice it in other people when you know that's something that you can you can shift for them and and hearing you talk about psychology and acting yes i mean what what is that you t- you take a, a text and and it's your job to kind of understand the psychology that's written in black and white but that would be what you would experience with somebody in front of you that you're working with i am reading into what is behind this emotion this persona that i'm getting what is the stories? What's the psychology? Completely that. And I, I coach now. I've just set up also um, another business at the minute I'm worked on is um, coaching, acting coaching as well. And there's, it's strange that I've worked with quite a few dancers that have trained highly in that one discipline. Mm. And actually, when we start to unpick script work, because they've they've absolutely no experience in how do I face a monologue then? How do I anything? What's my first step? And even if you just have an hour with them, the strangest thing is, I don't know what your experiences were like during your training, but I know that sometimes I knew what was wrong, but I then was trying to do the version of what was right through there. And this has happened a million times in every different job since. When you try to do the version of you that you think they want you to do, when you're like, oh my God, my head is in a knot because you can't create when you're like that. So I think it's so important that when you're in that setup with someone is to in some way make them know that they're enough and they are great in that space. Like, I don't think they've been told before. So uh, loads of the people that I've worked with, I was like, you are really natural at this. You are, you're approaching this in a fantastic way. Am I? Because I I've, I've never been told. And I'm like, well, that's, that's why you don't feel good enough in this sphere then, because mm-hmm. you've never been told. It's that 50% technique and 50% knowing that you are enough and you can do it because without being present in that moment itself, then you can never act or you can never put on an outfit or you can never have a relationship. You've got to have that balance, haven't you, where you can you can just buzz and, and create because these mm. are kind of artistic professions. But it was just very interesting to me that I was thinking, God, yeah, you, you, you look stronger. You seem stronger as an actor. And that's only because I've, let you know how I feel about your acting. That's the strangest thing, but it's so powerful to know. And it's super important. We think, oh, they mustn't get above their station or I must give them tough love or I must do this. And it's like, just love, just freely give your opinion. If it's whatever it might be that um, I'm actually coaching as well at the minute, my partner's nephew every friday we do uh, drama drama i call it drama school with him um and um he has just come on leaps and bounds because th- the connections between acting and adulting are just colossal <laughs> everything in there listening being present communicating appreciating without all those things you can't be in a scene you can't commit to a character any of those things and it's it's fascinating but he always says at school they say to me 
It's the www, what went well? And they said, then they say the EBI, even better if. So I was like, right, I'm taking those because how fantastic. Yeah, this is, I'm going to tell you how good you are because I love this, this, and this. And I'm only saying it would be even better if, Mm. not in any way detrimental, but just a little bit better if, because it's already brilliant. And, you know, straight away, you're like, you're... You can see them standing taller and living to the potential of that moment. And that's why I wanted to take it further with psychology as well, because I was like, there's more to this. It brings a gravitas to whatever profession you're in, whichever one you're talking about. Brilliant. What I love there is um, the idea that you're teaching emotional intelligence there as, as ad- adult, adulting, as you called it, mm-hmm. as well as acting. And that idea that in life it's 50 percent technique and 50 percent self-worth mm-hmm. knowing who you are that feels like that's how what... can you create without it's impossible we've all felt i mean i feel like that we've all felt like that and you it's shut down the process is completely shut down from that moment onwards if you're in the mirror going oh i've not got enough time to get ready i hate this outfit my hair's looking a mess whatever it might be it's like, well, good luck trying to claw back a night out from that <laughs> feeling because, it, yeah, we've all been there. But it's that is where it needs to lead from. And mm-hmm. it sounds very simple. And it is, I've oversimplified, but I, I, I'm interested in, in what that can do. Yeah, no, I, I, I sort of feel like, well, we've... We've talked for a long time and I could carry on talking, but I think where I want to leave it is on just love. You know, at narrative, one of our things is everybody has a story, which is a really simple idea. But what that means is valuing everybody's story, which is the same. Just love. Just start from a place of value and validation and then everything else blossoms. And I think that I think that that's what you do. That's what uh, you do, JP. Well- I think that's what you two do because I've been lucky enough to see your stuff as well. I'll never forget the performance in the kitchen. That first one, I was like, this is amazing. And it, it is. And I think it needs to come from that point. And from the position of you can do anything, mm. anything. Mm. Take your pick. So, yes, I agree. And you too. Just love. Just love. Thank you, Just JP. That was- Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been a joy. I've not talked about myself for that long for a long, long time. <laughs>